Malachi chapter 1, starting at verse 6 today. Isn't it true that a son honors his father and a worker his master? So if I'm your father, where's your honor? If I'm your master, where's the respect? God of the angel armies is calling you on the carpet. You priests despise me. You say, not so. How do we despise you? By your shoddy, sloppy, defiling worship. You ask, what do you mean defiling? What's defiling about it? When you say the altar of God is not important anymore, worship of God is no longer a priority, that's defiling. And when you offer worthless animals for sacrifices and worship, animals that you're trying to get rid of, blind and sick and crippled animals, isn't that defiling? Try a trick like that with your banker or your senator. How far do you think it will get you? God of the angel armies asks you. Get on your knees and pray that I will be gracious to you. You priests have gotten everyone in trouble. With this kind of conduct, do you think I'll pay attention to you? God of the angel armies asks you. Why doesn't one of you just shut the temple doors and lock them? Then none of you can get in and play at religion with the silly, empty-headed worship. I am not pleased. God, the God of the angel armies is not pleased, and I don't want any more of this so-called worship. I am honored all over the world, and there are people who know how to worship me all over the world who honor me by bringing their best to me. They're saying it everywhere. God is greater. This God of the angel armies, all except you. Instead of honoring me, you profane me. You profane me when you say, worship is not important, and what we bring to worship is of no account. And when you say, I'm bored, this doesn't do anything for me. You act so superior, sticking your noses in the air. Act superior to me, God of the angel armies. And when you do offer something to me, it's a hand-me-down or broken or useless. Do you think I'm going to accept it? This is God speaking to you. A curse on the person who makes a big show of doing something great for me. An expensive sacrifice, say. And then, at the last minute, brings in something puny and worthless. I'm a great king, God of the angel armies, honored far and wide. And I'll not put up with it. Thank you, Sarah. Nice, heavy, feel-good passage, right? A little challenge. Um, I, I wanted Sarah to read that from uh, the message, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this passage. And part of the reason for that is because it is a heavy passage. The language in it is harsh. This is a very harsh passage. And the message today is a little heavy. And, and Eugene Peterson has just such a, a, a beautiful and unique way of communicating what this passage is about. It feels like it softens the blow a little bit of what God is saying. In fact, when I asked Sarah to read it, she's like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do this easy passage. Great. Um, <laughs> Because the language in it is, is powerful, and it's convicting. Uh, back in 2015, there was a, uh, a story that started to be retold in our culture. Um, and it was told in a way, in a very popular way of telling a story. And the story was about a man named Alexander Hamilton. And this is a story that I had known kind of like from history classes. There was a biography released about this man's life, one of our founding fathers, part of our country's history. But the story was now being told as a Broadway play. It was being told in a way that it was 
combined with, with music, and not just any music. It was hip-hop and R&B and soul. It was cool. It became something that uh, it, it, was, it was the place to be, to go to Hamilton. And, and many of you have gone to Hamilton, and you let everyone know about it, didn't you? <laughs> yes. And I have not seen Hamilton yet. I want to. Um, I, I've listened to the soundtrack. It's, it's cool. Um, it's great. Um, one of the things that it does is it takes this old story, um, and, it, and, and it tells it in a way that is compelling and creative, and it moves you emotionally. And I, I've actually read a lot of the biography that was written that, that the play's based off of. And I have a friend that's like super into the play, and he's like always telling me, like, oh, man, it's so cool. You got to see it. You got to listen to the soundtrack. It's just going to rock your world. And, and I, I'm sitting there thinking, like, I, I can't believe you're interested in this because you don't care about history. And, and, but you're into it. And, and you, you care about it because something about it has captivated you. The way that this story has been told, the creativity of the rapping, of the hip-hop, it's like you're, you're into it. And it has a way of communicating something that, that we should probably all know this story. It's in our country's history. We should, we should probably all know kind of what's happening around that time. There's something for us today as we hear it as well. But it's been told in a way that captivates you, which hasn't captivated you before. It's told, it's almost performed in a way that, that uh, it's, it's so creative that it just captures your attention. I think that's interesting because as, as we come to this passage in Malachi, um, we, we so often forget how compelling these original words were for the, the first people that hear it. The, the genre of this book, Malachi, is that it's, it's this prophetic word, this, this man who shows up and he, and he has two purposes. And we, we talked about these two purposes last week. The purposes of Malachi is he's trying to correct and reform some of the religious and social abuses of the day. And he's trying to rekindle the fires of faith in the hearts of a discouraged people. So how does he do this? The, the genre of his writing, what happens is it, it becomes a dialogue between God and his people. And the prophet shows up and, he, and, and, he, and it's a dispute. There's actually seven disputes between God and his people. Uh, I've heard one commentator say that it sounds like uh, it's like a court case. And they're both on trial, both God and his people are on trial, and they're going back and forth with these disputes. Heard another person say that it's almost like the, the closest thing we have to like a counseling session between God and his people. It's like this counseling session between them where they're going back and forth. Well, you did this. You said you'd do this. Well, why haven't you done this? And, and on and on and on they go. But when it was first told in this, this kind of prophetic disputation that came across, it would have captivated the first hearers of this word. It would have gone viral in our language. It had been so compelling and creative that it would have moved them emotionally to action. They would start using words like, this, this is an inspired word. It's divinely inspired. And, and, and so this is now in our scripture because we know it's a divinely inspired word from God. And then we read it, and sometimes we miss how compelling and, and how emotional this, this passage is. It drives people to action. It captivates their hearts. Malachi is writing to correct and to rekindle the fires of faith in the people of God. The people of God at the time are so preoccupied with the busyness of life and themselves, their own agenda, that they've, they've, they've come to this place with God where he just feels distant and stale. They don't, they're not seeing miracles. They're not hearing a word from God. 
And it's like Malachi's trying to just kind of rupture this bubble that they're in. And he's speaking this word saying, you've been preoccupied with yourself, but these are the things I want you to be preoccupied with. Last week we talked about how the, the, first, disputation, the first dispute, God says, I have loved you. And the people respond, well, how have you loved us? And the first five verses is this explanation of how God has loved his people. And to start the year, we want to be preoccupied with God's love in our lives, consumed with it. Well, this second passage, the second dispute, starts with the words that Sarah just read. And the dispute is, is, is not about God's love. This one is it's about this idea of honor. The words, isn't it true that a son honors his father and a worker his master? So if I'm your father, where's the honor? If I'm your master, where's the respect? God uses this language of, of relationships that you would expect honor in with a, a, a father and son and a servant and master. And God is calling you to the carpet and says, you priests despise me. When you first read these words, really what, what's happening here is Malachi is calling out the priests, the religious leaders. Someone like me. <laughs> Yikes. And they say, uh, you, he says, you priests despise me. Not so. How do we despise you? The th- dispute breaks out about this idea of honor. We don't necessarily live in an honor, a system of honor, a culture of honor uh, in, in our society today. There's some cultures that they're, they're really strong cultures of honor. Um, I'm reading through uh, or listening to a, a podcast on World War II. It's a history podcast. I really like it. Um, but it's talking about the honor system in Japan uh, leading up to World War II. That's a completely foreign concept uh, to us, the honor system that they lived in. Honor uh, if we think about really what it means in, in the Hebrew when he says you're honoring, it was kind of used, uh, it, literally, it, it means to properly weigh something. You, you, to properly understand the weight and how heavy something is. Another way to put it is to properly recognize or acknowledge value. Honor To honor is to properly recognize or acknowledge value in something. And we, we catch glimpses of this in our culture. Like you, you will see, you'll, you'll be at the airport and you'll, you'll see someone from the military coming home and, and they're still in uniform and, and you'll see people walking up to them and, and thanking them for their service. There's a glimpse of honor. But we don't really orient our lives around honoring, do we? We're suspicious, especially of authority, suspicious of relationships, we're very kind of self-indulgent. To honor is something that isn't really a high priority. And here God is saying, you have not honored me. Honor relationship with father and son, servant and Lord. There's a dispute about honor. I think for us in this time, when we maybe not necessarily be familiar with honor, we catch glimpses of it. Um, there's an important word for, for how God works. Because honor is important to God. And important to his economy and, and kingdom. This is why this is a, the second dispute in Malachi. One of my uh, favorite pastors that I listen to who's kind of influenced me from afar. His name's John Tyson. He pastors 
a church in New York City. It just so happens that he did a, uh, a sermon on honor uh, a couple weeks ago, and his word for 2019 was honor. And, and he, he took this idea of honor and went into like Paul's words in Romans about how we should honor one another. And so the whole kind of message is about how we honor each other, um, to honor one another above ourselves. But he started to talk about really the place of honor in Scripture. And, and I, I started to hear how, how honor uh, it, it is so essential to relationship with God. And I wanted to go through this. And as I kind of started looking at how honor appears in Scripture, I thought, well, there's a lot of passages here. So this is going to be kind of like a, a, a Bible, old-fashioned Bible study. We're going to power through it. Uh, Marcy always feels like she doesn't like it when I put this many words on the screen. So bear with me. Hang with me. But the place of honor in Scripture is so prevalent. It starts with, with creation honors God. Isaiah 43, 20. All creation honors God. It says, the wild animals honor me and the jackals and the owls because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I form for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Wild animals honor me. Creation honors me. It talks about how he's ordered the creation. I was jogging yesterday because I exercise. And <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm trying to train for this marathon. It's not going well. I'm like way behind in the training. Um, but, but I was running the canals in North Phoenix, kind of up by, by my house. And I got to the top of this bridge, and I was looking out over the canal. And, and it was just this beautiful day, and the canals were like moving. And Canals aren't necessarily beautiful, but for some reason, the way that the light was hitting them, it just looked like this living water flowing through our city. And, uh, and I was thinking about that, like, you know, we, we live in this massive uh, mega burb, Phoenix, what is it, like four or five million people live here, and it's a desert. How do we drink? How do we get water? The, the people who have ordered the city have figured out how to have these, how, how to irrigate the city, for one, and, and two, how to get us plumbing and clean water that we can all drink. It's really kind of brilliant. In the middle of a desert, this many people could live together. There's an order behind it. And I was thinking about this first. And in the same way, that kind of impressed me about how our city developers have created this. All of creation points to God with honor. There's this order to how, how the creation uh, works. Creation honors God. Another, another passage about honor, 1 Corinthians 6, 18. We should honor God with our bodies. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, 20 says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, but you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. It's an interesting passage. Again, it's, it's one you'll hear people kind of take in different ways. I'm sure that you've heard someone who does work out all the time. They love this passage, right? Like they go into the gym, got to work on the temple. Yep. <laughs> temple of the Holy Spirit. I got to get my time in, work on my temple. Um, but, but really, when you think about what's going on here, honoring God with our bodies, to flee from sexual immorality, to flee from... Uh, ways that we wouldn't honor God with our body because our bodies are not our own. We are bought with a price. We are redeemed. The way that we live, how we use our body, honors God. We should honor God with our wealth. 
Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. I don't even have vats, but that sounds good, right? Get me some vats. Uh, but, but to honor God with your wealth, our resources. Proverbs is saying this is a way that we honor God with how we live, with how we steward our gifts. Then there's a bigger picture. All human culture should honor God. And this is kind of, let me explain this one, but in Isaiah chapter 68 and 9, it says, uh, Who are these that fly along the, like clouds, like doves to their nests? Surely the islands look to me. In the lead are the ships of Tarshish. Say that ten times fast. In the lead are the ships of Tarshish, bringing your children from afar with their silver and gold to honor the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. It's like, what in the world does that mean? Well, in the time of Solomon, Solomon was, had created this fleet, and this fleet would go all over the known world, and every three years they would return with just with, with, with great abundance. Uh, it talks about in, in, uh, in one of the, the history books uh, for Solomon, they would come back with, with, with gold and with silver and with all sorts of wild animals and apes and all, all sorts of just, just wild things that would, it would just be, every time those ships would come in, it would just be a, a huge excitement and blessing, like opening presents for the people that, that God would, and, and here they're saying that this is something that would honor God. This is a, something that was used for them, occupation, trade. And it honors God. All human culture, the way that we interact, the way that we work, the way that we, uh, we trade, how we use the material world around us can honor God. And then honor is something that is our destiny. As God's people, honor is our destiny. When, when we get to Revelation chapter 5, there's this interesting passage. And Revelation is this apocalyptic writing. Um, but, but here's what it says in verse 5, 11 through 14. It says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. We've been created to honor God with our whole lives, everything that we've been given, everything about us. Our future, our destiny is to honor God. Honor is central to this relationship with him where we recognize and we acknowledge the value of our creator. Honoring God with everything. And as Sarah read in Malachi 1.11, I am honored all over the world and there are people who know how to worship me all over the world who honor me by bringing their best to me. They honor me by bringing their best. And this dispute breaks out between God and his people. And he says, you haven't honored me. And they're like, who, us? No. 
Not us. I mean, how have we not honored you? We've, you know, we're doing what you've told us to do. He says, by your shoddy and your sloppy and defiling worship. And then they, they respond, what do you mean defiling? What's defiling about it? Verse 7 and 8. When you say the altar of God is not important anymore, worship of God is no longer a priority, that's defiling. When you offer worthless animal, animals for sacrifices and worship, animals that you are trying to get rid of, blind and sick and crippled animals, isn't that defiling? Try and trick your, your banker or your senator. How far do you think you will get? They've dishonored him with their worship. Honoring means giving God the best of our lives. And the people at this point in history have stopped doing that. They've stopped honoring God. And what's interesting is he starts by saying this to kind of the religious leaders, the pastors. But it seeped into all of their culture. And in verse 14, it kind of turns not just to the religious leaders, but it turns to everyone, all of God's people. And it says, we're going through the motions here. And I'm not getting your best. Coming with animals for the sacrifices. This was an act of worship with them where they would come with an animal. Uh, but what they would do is they would take animals that were, uh, that were sick, blind, crippled. They couldn't sell them on the market. They couldn't really breed them anymore. They weren't really good for anything. It was kind of like just leftovers. And those are the things they would bring to God in worship. Another thing happens, he says, you, you wouldn't treat your banker or your, your senator like this. And what's happened in this time in history, uh, they, they've had this foreign power that's kind of governing. They have their own freedom, but they have this governor they pay tribute to. And God's saying, you honor that person more than you even honor me. There's something going on here with living in reverence and fear. And God's saying, you would never, you would never pay tribute with your leftovers. It's almost like you fear man more than you fear God. Malachi is not interested in the mechanics of empty ritual. Malachi accuses these priests of having more fear and respect. And I think that this happens all the time because sometimes our relationship with God, you know, we, we enjoy the grace of God. We, he's forgiving uh, he's slow to anger. He's merciful. Those, those are all so true. But oftentimes we can just kind of take that for granted. And I know that we take that for granted because we do the same thing with the relationships in this life that matter most. And I think about my relationship with my family and the words that I use and the tone that I use. Especially with Marcy. Marcy's got a very strong personality. So do I. We like to bicker. We like to go back and forth. But there's times where we'll have conversations where we're just going at it and, and, and like lose my temper and, and talk to her in ways that I would, I would never talk to someone in a professional relationship like this. I would never talk to someone in the church like this. You guys would be like, what a terrible person. What a terrible pastor. What a jerk. And yet it's so easy. I'm so familiar with Marcy that we'll go back and forth like that. And, and the one person in this world who deserves my best when it comes to my words and my tone will get my worst because I just take that relationship for granted. I'm guessing that probably happens with you guys in the privacy of your homes as well. We never talk to other people like this. Why are we talking to each other like this? 
the people that deserve our best, we just take that for granted. They get our worst words. They get our worst tones. They get our passive-aggressive comments. Happens all the time. I think this is what's happening here, this relationship between God and his people. They're giving God leftovers. They're not prioritizing around God. They're not attributing value to the creator who has, by the way, brought them out of Babylon and reestablished their homes in the land that they've been promised. He's done so much for them, and they just take it for granted. And Malachi is writing to awaken them. Honoring God means giving him the best of our lives. The failure to honor, and I think here's what happens when we fail to honor God, is that it di- when we fail to honor God, it diminishes and it discourages, it discourages and it divides. I start to wonder what the church's influence is in, in, in culture. And so often it's easy to think, well, we just live in a hostile culture towards the church. And so, you know, the persecution's coming. And yeah, some of that's true. And some of it is we have not just preoccupied our minds with honoring God. There's no credibility to our witness. We've lost credibility. Something's been diminished in God's work in our life. There's this interesting story in the life of Jesus in Mark chapter 6. And it's, it's titled, A Prophet Without Honor. It says, Jesus left there and he went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They took offense at Jesus. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them, which is, you know, like a big deal, but this is Jesus. (laughs) He could not do any miracles there, and he was amazed at their lack of faith. What is going on here? There's been this failure to attribute and to recognize the value of Jesus, the Son of God. He's amazed at their lack of faith. It diminishes the work here on earth. Well, you can't limit God. Absolutely right. But when it comes to God's activity in our life, when we we go through the motions, when we give him our leftovers, there's something here that is diminished in this vibrant, living God that is here among us. When we fail to honor God, it just diminishes and discourages. And the people who receive this letter, who receive this book from Malachi, that's what's happening. God feels distant. We're not seeing a great work of God in our time. We're questioning whether or not he even exists or cares about us. We're questioning whether or not he loves us, even though he's done all these different things for us. It just diminishes because they've failed to honor. And Malachi is writing to rekindle and to correct to awaken them to the life that God has, this God who desires them to have life abundantly, life eternally. I want to close with this. I came across this this commentary on this passage, and I was reading it, and it was so convicting to me. I was like, I should share it, but it was kind of this long passage, and so I wrote to Tim, and I showed him, and I'm like, should I share this? And he's like, yes, share it. And I'm like, okay, so if it makes you feel bad, just blame Tim. Um, 
but it, but it really it was very convicting to me is this commentator, uh, her name is Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Ackmeyer, and uh, wrote uh, interpretation commentary on Malachi. And these words were, were I just thought were so uh, convicting. And she wrote this about the kind of worship um, that God's kind of calling out here, this worship that's shoddy. She says, one can view the worship of God in such a manner only when one has no ongoing intimate fellowship with God and no understanding of his nature. Both the types of knowledge of God, uh, both types of knowledge of God are meditated through the sacred history of God's words and deed. That is for us through his scriptures. Through recounting the old, old story in the preaching and in the sacraments, the music and the teaching, the speech and the deeds of the church, God reveals himself to our hearts and minds as truly the great king over all the earth, as the father who has created us and redeemed us and circled us with his love in Jesus Christ, and as the master who guides us and empowers us and commands our lives. Such a God demands our life, our love, and our all. But when the church fails to tell the gospel story, when the worshipers bring blemished gifts to God, the coins and the offering that cost nothing, they dis, they're discards for the poor. The remnants of their time, the grudging gifts of their talents, worship becomes perfunctory, sometimes tiresome service or at best a sleepy duty, ineffective to change or touch anything in the worshipers' hearts and lives. And Malachi is interested in the glorious nature of God and our intimate fellowship with him. To honor God is to awaken. I read that and I thought, wow, how powerful. That my worship, so often I don't preoccupy my mind with honoring God with everything. And it just dis- diminishes the work, God's work in my life. And one thing that I've, I've started to, to understand about this idea of honor is that this, this God who is, has seen us in our worst and called us to a life that, 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 that he's designed for us, life abundant, life eternal, there's this redemptive potential that all of us have in this world. And you will reach your full redemptive potential in this world when you honor God with the best of yourself. Whether it's the things that you create, the things that you work with, your body, your resources, your time. When you honor God, you experience him to the fullness. And you reach this redemptive potential where God unleashes his work in your life to honor us to worship and to honor us to awaken to the life that God has for us. So, second point. Last week, to preoccupy our minds with God's love, his faithfulness to us, no matter what he loves us. This week, second point is to preoccupy our minds with honoring God, recognizing and attributing value to our creator, preoccupying our minds with it. Let it consume us. Today, as we close with a time of communion, my prayer is that you would take these moments to worship, to attribute to recognize value of our creator. That as you would come to the table for communion, you would be reminded of God's great power and what he's done in the sacrifice of taking this bread that represents his body 
God incarnate who came to earth, broke himself open so that our brokenness could get put back together. You take a cup of juice that represents the blood that was poured out and shed on the cross that wipes away our sin and iniquity and all of the ways that we fall short, that you would come to the table with a posture of worship and honor for God, that you'd preoccupy your mind with it. So as Tim comes up and leads us in this time of prayer, when you are ready, move to the communion table and let us honor and worship our God now. Let it be something we do in this moment and may it be something we preoccupy our minds with this year. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for this old story, a compelling, a challenge, a challenging word. But we're reminded that when you give us such a warning, you give us such a word, it's because you love us and you desire the best for us. You haven't left us to our own devices. You haven't abandoned us to our own decisions. You've, you recklessly pursue us. You remind us of the way of life. That life to the full, that life abundant is found in you. Today, Lord, we come humbled. We're here to honor and worship you. Lord, help our, our lives uh, to be authentic, our motives to be pure. Let us not hide behind just religious practices, but connect with your heart today, Lord. You're worthy of our praise and our worship. Awaken us to the life that you've called us to. May you meet us here today, Lord. We honor you with our worship. In your son's name we pray. Amen.